Hello and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer. I'm a nurse practitioner and the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we're very excited to have on Dr. Nobleza. Welcome to the program. Hi, I'm Hannah Nobleza. I'm the nurse care medical director of uh, here in Baptist Memphis. Well, it's great to have you on. Can you just give the audience a little bit about your background and uh, and what you do? So I, um, I'm originally trained as a neurologist um, uh, back in the East Coast, and I uh, did my subspecialty training in neurocritical care. Um, and then I moved here to the South, um, initially from Mississippi, and then and this is my second job. I'm here in Baptist. Um, so I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm one of the um, many neurointensivists uh, covering Baptist East, um, and we essentially um, help in managing patients with severe neurologic um, conditions, whether it's uh, involving the brain or the spinal cord, post-operative um, patients, um, most especially if they have medical complications and we also help our colleagues in um, Memphis Long in their ICUs if they have um, patients that develop neurological complications so um, we help them too. We're so glad to have you at Baptist, absolutely. Um, but today we're talking about brain death or the diagnosis of brain death. So is there a is there a formal definition for brain death? Yes. Yeah, so actually one of the major issues with, um, we, we call it now death by neurologic criteria. So DNC, that's the, we're leaning more into using that term because it, it confuses um, families, right? Uh, so when we have patients that are in a coma, not, not yet brain dead, um, uh, a lot of families' concerns and first questions to us is, is, is he brain dead? Mm -hmm. um, and so we're leaning away from that term of brain death. Um, it, and it's actually death, full, a patient fulfilling the, the um, definition of death by neurologic criteria. Um, and uh, it is very important to know that there is a definition of it. There, is a, there are specific steps that have to be fulfilled to declare someone um, brain dead. Um, and if you cannot perform any of those steps or you're not comfortable, you don't understand, you don't know the steps, you shouldn't be declaring anyone um, uh, dead by, by the, the neurologic criteria. Um, so the, the main definition of it is uh, complete and permanent loss of brain function. So it is like uh, um, having a cardiac arrest where the whole heart stops functioning. So it's essentially the same with the brain. It stops functioning. Um, but we, but the, they have different components. Um, and when we say that the brain has lost its function, because it, it is confusing, the patient is still on a ventilator with their heart beating and, and they can see their respirations. Um, but what we have to prove is that they are in um, 
like a very deep unresponsive coma based on an irreversible brain condition or brain injury. They do not have any brainstem reflexes and um, that it's not going to change. So we, we have to explain that and show that to the family. The, the problem is um, this has been studied in the past where hospitals um, or uh, clinicians um, performing uh, the, the declaration don't go through the steps, that they don't follow the hospital guidelines. Um, another challenge is different hospitals have different policies, as you know, some don't. Then different countries, different cultures have different understanding of it. So just in um, probably uh, two, uh, three years ago, they just, um, this World uh, Brain Death Group or collaboration came up with this um, document. Uh, and, it, and it's a great document because it's a consensus of all these world experts um, coming up with um, a united um, sort of list of how to go about brain death. Uh, what are the issues still that we have to work on and moving forward from that. So, so that document, if you want to look it up, it's in um, JAMA uh, and it's the World Brain Death Project. Um, and it's a really great read. Um, so yeah, so, so there is a definition um, and, and it is challenging. Um, so I, I like it when someone comes up um, to us uh, to, to discuss how to go about it help improve the process because um, one of our roles as the physicians who are who can declare um, someone um, dead uh, DNC uh, through DNC is that we, we have to respect that those um, steps. Um, can you imagine this this um, role you're declaring someone dead? but not through the heart or lungs. So you have to really understand how you're going to do this. You have to understand the background of the brain injury and not take for granted um, this uh, um, sort of uh, uh, responsibility that you're given. You're declaring someone dead, not by not by the common um, pathway, and so that's why it it is very important to me uh, taking on that responsibility, explaining to the family, and you cannot just fly through it. Like you never should fly through it. So let's talk about some patient scenarios um, and when you may be consulted to do you know. An evaluation for death by death by neurologic condition. That's what you said. No, uh, death by neurologic criteria or DNC. We can call DNC. it DNC. Okay, so you know maybe I had a patient that had you know cardiac arrest in the field. They somehow got his heart back beating, but he's been unresponsive. Um, what what would trigger me to ref to consult you for a brain death evaluation? I guess. How do I know, you know, is he in a coma versus this looks like brain death? 
So the most common trigger when when the question is um, DNC is the loss of brainstem reflexes. So uh, typically MLP would have paused sedation because they would have been intubated on sedation because they didn't know yet what's yeah. going on, probably after 24 or 48 hours. Um, they've, they've stopped sedation, they wait a little bit longer. So we're now at the 72 hour mark or more, and then there are no brainstem reflexes at all. Then they get a CAT scan. And then it shows diffuse cerebral edema involving okay. the whole brain. So that's a common scenario. Um, there, there might be some in other systems where they will consult for potential DNC, and it is less than seventy-two hours. They might, they, the patient might have been cool, like um, the patient might have gone through hypothermia. Um, and, and then they check the brainstem reflexes. So that one, we're not going to declare anyone DNC. That's not enough of a waiting period. So 72 hours is at least is pretty standard. Typically for us, yes. Like we would at least give that patient time to see, especially those with kidney and liver failure or the kidney and liver issues, got a lot of sedation. Um, like we would give time um, hmm. because we want we do not want to make a mistake you want the um, enough time for the sedation to come off i guess mm -hmm. okay. the exception to that is a, a, a brain imaging that can explain um that will tell us regardless of uh the 72 hours that it's a devastating um brain injury already and, and that's that those are the patients that have like diffuse like you don't see any work any working brain anymore mm. and that's when we're going to proceed um with a formal um dnc so you talked about the examination and the brainstem reflexes and then you also mentioned ct scan that shows diffuse cerebral edema are there other diagnostic tests that may be performed so that's a good question so um a, a, Another thing that can be, that might be, uh, that might happen, that shouldn't happen, is when um, physicians do a brain imaging to start with to declare DNC. And what I mean by that is that I've had cases where we will be called because the physician um, attempted to do DNC um and started with an mri so that means to us that they didn't know the criteria they did not know the first steps because there you never start with an mri an mri is used by us to diagnose what's going on in the brain if there's an opposite brain injury if there's a big stroke but that's not what you use to diagnose brain death, and you don't start with an MRI. So, so maybe, mm -hmm, go ahead. Yeah, so maybe let's just walk through the the criteria and the protocol. So you're consulted, you're seeing a new patient. Where do you start? So you 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 actually first start with 
a potential a story, right? A history of a yeah. uh, consistent um, consistent with a possible severe brain injury leading to this deep deeply comatose patients with patient without um, brainstem reflexes. So the first thing that I would do is look at the CAT scan that they have or whatever brain imaging that they already have for the diagnosis of what's going on, not necessarily for brain death. Um, if the CAT scan already shows consistent um, uh, criteria of irreversible brain injury, explaining your current um, a situation with the loss of brainstem reflexes, um, the patient's already in a deep coma and it's consistent, um, then, then I proceed with a detailed cranial nerve examination after excluding all the um, toxic uh, metabolic derangements that can happen. Um, also make sure that the vital signs um, are stable or uh, there are certain uh, vital signs criteria like the systolic blood pressure has to be greater than 100. The patient should be warm, okay? Um, they cannot be declared at 94.7 Fahrenheit because that's dead um, temperature, that's cold. So we, 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 warm, we have to make sure we warm the patient. Um, and they can be on vasopressors. So we have patients one, two, or um, one or two vasopressors just for us to be able to make sure that their cardiac and pulmonary function are stable because we're trying to, we're declaring them through the brain um, injury, not, not through the heart and lungs. So we're making sure that that's not contributing to the brain injury. Um, and then, so those are the prerequisites. So we call those the prerequisites. And then we, we move towards the um, cranial nerve examination. If, in, if just in those steps, those first um, few steps, you have any doubt, you have any issue, um, then uh, you might need to actually consider an ancillary test. An ancillary test or other brain imaging um, that uh, we use to prove that there's no blood flow to the brain and that there's no working brain, that there's no brain function at all. Um, and typically, uh, the choice of the test depends on the brain um, pathology um, and the, the availability in different hospitals. Not all hospitals um, have the capability to do uh, the nuclear study. They might be able to do seat, uh, uh, transcranial doppers or EEGs, and then it also depends on the hospital policy. Um, if if they will allow um, certain tests uh, in in Baptist, we do uh, the nuclear um, flow brain flow study, um, and uh, EEGs can be done as well. But the nuclear flow is readily available, so that's the most common um, ancillary test done in Baptist. Tell me about that test. You said that local airflow test. Is that what you said? Blood flow. Blood flow nuclear, test. Nuclear. Nuclear um, blood flow yes, test. Nuclear. Okay. Is that like similar to a functional MRI? What is this test? No. I... So uh, they will um, they will administer a, a nuclear isotope and essentially it okay. trace brain flow. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Interesting. And so after that, so we go through the brainstem reflexes. Then if they if there's there are no other issues and the patient is hemodynamically stable, we assess can the patient tolerate the apnea test. So simply put, an apnea test is essentially us disconnecting the patient from the ventilator and uh, monitoring this blood test or the blood gas um, for the carbon dioxide level, which if you were breathing would not um, gradually increase if they were breathing. So this is a final sort of test um, for, for DNC. And if they are not breathing, when, if they're apneic, that level of carbon dioxide will continue to rise. And our number that we look for to fulfill the criteria is either it's greater than 60 um, millimeters uh, or uh, a difference of 20 from baseline, 20 points from baseline. So that's, that's an objective criteria. Um, so, that we look, look for. but you'd only do that if there was question. So if a patient just had complete absence of uh, reflexes and uh, CT showing diffuse cerebral edema, is that enough to fulfill no, the criteria? Okay. You have to do the apnea test. You that's have to final, do that. Okay. That's the final test. What is optional if needed is the an, uh, are the ancillary tests. Like the blood flow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's why, like, if the physician doesn't have any experience with the apnea test and they mm. do not have the staff that knows about it, like the respiratory therapists, you cannot declare anyone via DNC in your institution. And and they, that's, you said there was variation with states and countries and, and hospitals. Is that the apnea test and, and everything else you mentioned, is that pretty universal? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So okay. it's pretty universal that you end with an apnea test. Um, what might vary a little is the a number of attendings required to do it. So in Baptist, you're required to do, um, you're required to have two attendings go through the steps. Gotcha. Um, in where I train, like, for example, in, um, in the East Coast, uh, we only need one, mm. provided a sufficient waiting period of more than uh, six hours or so. Like, you, you can't do it with one attending in less than six hours. Pediatric pop, the pediatric population, um, you need, that one is pretty universal. You need two um, physicians. Um, and in, in Baptist, it's specified that uh, one of the physicians should be neuro trained. Makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, it starts with policy. It starts with a protocol in each hospital. And then the deviations um, from those will also depend on the physician doing it. Um, I, like I've seen, not, not in Baptist, but in other places that uh, they just don't go through the process. And that's scary to me. <laughs> so, are there any conditions that may mimic DNC? Um, yeah. So if we had a patient that um, not not in Baptist, like we had we had a patient that 
had severe um, liver injury coming in, um, also has a history of ESRD. Uh, so she had this um, uh, intracranial injury in, she came in, uh, they consulted us after 20, uh, 24, 48 hours for DNC. Um, and it was just because she couldn't get rid of the paralytic sedation on time. Like, so, so we, we, that one we had to wait because once we were at the apnea testing level, she started breathing, like, and she was also like, initially, um, she was hypothermic. She was warm to the border, um, like 90, uh, I think it was 96.5 or 97. And then as we, as they were doing the apnea test, she just started breathing. So drugs combined with ESRD and liver, liver failure can give you this mimic of a patient that's comatose and brain dead. So, uh, or uh, really in a, uh, without brain stem reflexes. So you have to really give those patients time. Um, and if you need to check levels, check levels if you can. Um, like alcohol level, if, if someone um, had severely elevated alcohol um, coming in. Um, one of the most common examples that I've used is a severe flare of multiple sclerosis. Um, if you have a patient with severe multiple sclerosis and they have this flare up involving the brain stem, that's not an irreversible brain injury. So you cannot declare by that. They, they should have something else going on aside from multiple sclerosis. Um, uh, there was a patient also that was post-operative um, that also had renal dysfunction. Uh, and because she got paralytics in the OR, everyone was afraid that she was, that she became brain dead because pupils were dilated. We didn't have a pupillometer back then, um, but it was just really the paralytics. So, um, someone uh, tested a train of four. That's how we see if the patient's paralyzed or not, and she was still paralyzed. Um, so yeah, th those are just some of the mimics, but and that's why it starts with a history, um, and then go through the steps. Do not skip the steps. Um, because the if you read the um, history of brain death, and if you um, follow the steps there's really no one that should come back from the dead. If someone, if, if the person declaring it actually followed the criteria to like the, the detail. Mm. Um, that's, that's just how it is. And if you're unsure, then you have to call for help and ask uh, uh, someone who's familiar with doing it um, to help you go through it. Because, again, it goes back to the respect of the process, respect of, respect of that responsibility that you have. Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, a lot of physicians don't know the protocol, don't know the correct process. Have you seen, you know, I, I guess, have you been consulted on cases that um, would have potentially gone wrong? Had you not been consulted on it or they were going down the path of brain death, but you were able to show that there was still activity, you know, what was, how, what has your experience been with that? Uh, yes, we, we've been consulted several and not, not in, 
few in Baptist, but not, um, but also in other places. So it's a common thing that we encounter. Um, so for example, that, that example of the MRI that I told you about, um, and then uh, another potential um, cause of possible conflict in the setting of uh, DNC is not even telling the family that that's what you're about to do. That's very, very important that you, you spend time explaining to the family what you're about to do because after you do the apnea test and then the patient fulfills that number, that's the time of death. The families, there's no going back from it. That's your time of death. You've declared the patient dead. There's no yeah. You're not going to reintubate them. After. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And so you should have like, and that's one of the things that I've um, seen in the past uh, that sometimes physicians who are not comfortable explaining because they can't answer the other questions, the details of it, they breeze through that. And then what happens is that the it, what happens can be um, the patient is declared dead by us, the physicians, and then they tell the family and they're like, what do you mean dead? The, the heart is beating the, the, because they didn't explain. Or um, they explain that they're going to do brain death, but the patient did not meet the apnea test criteria. And then what? What, what are the next steps? So the, now the family's confused. You said you were going to declare him dead, and then now you're telling me he's not dead, so is he alive? Is, so what we typically do before, or it's standard for neurointensivists, before you do it, we explain how it led to where we are, like declaring the patient brain dead, explain to them the background, of why it is a blood test that's declaring the person um, dead. The law is mentioned because we are now obligated to actually proceed with a um, DNC because the patient's fulfilling certain criteria. So now we proceed. So for example, one of the most common scenario is just like you said, they consult us, diffuse cerebral edema already, um, the uh, clinician or the physician cannot um, see any um, brainstem reflexes. Then, then we talk to the family that we were consulted because they meet certain prerequisites. And by law, we actually have to proceed with um, a brain death declaration or DNC. Um, and then we go through, we go through uh, after we explain the, the steps to them, we explain to them that um, if the patient fulfills that breathing test, so we, we call it the breathing test um, number or the measurement of the chemical in their blood, so that's how I explain it, that, is, uh, that will be the time of death. And he, I will sign the death certificate after that. The, I put them back on, because the, the, we don't really extubate, we keep the um, endotracheal tube uh, in the patient. So this varies um, 
among physicians too. I typically put them back on the ventilator to give the family time to say um, their goodbyes. Um, some might explain it that I'm not gonna put them back on the ventilator, but you can still say goodbye in the room. So it varies. Um, and then uh, the, if they don't fulfill the, the criteria via the blood test or the apnea test, um, then we explain that if, and this is before doing it, if they don't meet the criteria, it still doesn't change the severe, the severe brain injury that he has, he or she has. The outcome is still poor. You might have to think about um, changing our goals towards comfort focus and, and not continuing this on. So, so we work along with the palliative care team when, when all of these things happen. I'm glad you, you explained that piece. That was going to be one of my next questions is, is what to do if you know, they didn't meet the criteria for the apnea test and, but they still had severe neurologic um, dysfunction. Would you ever be called back to a repeat the DNC? Um, so, yeah. Okay, go ahead. So that, that is a possibility. Um, and that is again, part of the explanation. So if um, the family says that, I don't think we're ready to withdraw, what are the next steps? Then we tell them that in 24, 48 hours, we will repeat this test again uh, if the patient still meets the prerequisite criteria. There are patients that might become hemodynamically unstable during that waiting sure. period. They're on three pressors. Uh, the FO2 requirement is 100%, um, and they cannot. Um, tolerate an apnea test, we might send them for a flow study instead. Okay. Yeah. Wow, these tips were very helpful. Um, thank you. Are there any other final comments for our listeners? Um, so it's, I just want to communicate the message, at least for the system or whoever's listening, that um, uh, the brain death process is very, very uh, it's a very sacred process because we're declaring someone dead by, by neurologic criteria. And um, before you proceed with that, you might want to reflect on your own um, if, if you're comfortable doing it. There are um, certain uh, uh, training materials available online to, to explain and delineate all these steps. Um, we have a certification specifically for brain death declaration in the neurocritical care um, world. Um, in, in our, where I trained in, in UConn, we had to do a certain number of brain death testing um, before we are credentialed to, to perform it. Um, so that's one thing, like we, we do not have a policy for credentialing, so we have to think about that. Second, from the clinician standpoint, evaluate if you're really comfortable doing this, and if not, go through the training, understand the process, um, because you're gonna have you're gonna answer really really difficult questions from stressed families who are crying, who are probably understanding bits and pieces of what you're saying. So you cannot use medical terms, and um, 
you have to go, uh, you have to use layman's terms and you can only do that if you understand what you're talking about. So um, us as clinicians, that's uh, our responsibility. And thirdly, if at some point while you're doing the checklist for um, DNC, you have any doubt, then it's okay to, uh, to call for help, to ask what to do next and to not just proceed with it and, and just to be done with it. Um, and lastly, we as clinicians should um, uh, separate ourselves from uh, the organ donation um, communication. So as a rule in most hospitals that I've worked in, physicians are not supposed to say those words at all. It's a hundred percent. You do not bring it up. You do not mention it, even in passing, even in conversation. And even if the family actually mentions it, you stay away from it by um, referring them to the organ procurement group. And that's one of the historical issues of, of brain death declaration or DNC is that it's linked somewhat to organ donation. Um, and that's why that conflict of interest has to be totally separate. So that's another thing for, for the system. You cannot mention organ donation at all. Um, if, uh, if you're not part of the organ procurement, there are already, there are, there are processes in place for the organ procurement group to be involved and you don't, you as the primary physician or you as the main physician declaring um, via DNC, uh, you have to just deal with that and, and just that. Like, do not deal with the organ donation process. So Thank those you. Those are my yeah. four tips. No, those are great. No, that was some great final comments. And you know, thank you again for coming on and talking to us about this topic. I certainly learned a lot. I think a lot of physicians out there probably don't know enough about this, and I think this will be very helpful. Thank you for having me. It's very, uh, it's a, it's a great opportunity to communicate out there that piece of the system. Great, and and thanks everybody for listening. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit.